0: Welcome to Printing Money, the insider's perspective on finance and investment in the 3D printing industry. Here are your hosts, Alex Kingsbury and Danny Piper.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the second episode of Printing Money, where we take a deeper look at the transactions behind some of the most innovative 3D printing businesses. My name is Alex Kingsbury, and joining me is my co host, Danny Piper. Hi, Danny.
0: Hey, Alex. Great to be back with you again.
1: So we get the pleasure of discussing some of the latest drama. The, the other drama was in episode one. Episode two drama is uh, Silicon Valley Bank.
0: What a uh, what a bomb to drop.
1: <laughs> it was the weekend for you, Danny.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, I actually spent some time shifting uh, money around bank accounts and uh, calling clients. We actually had one scenario. We were supposed to get Silicon Valley Bank to approve. A potential engagement because they had some uh, from debt in there and it was supposed to happen on friday so go figure uh where that is but what a major major announcement a top 20 bank going down so quickly and the concentration on the venture industry all the portfolio companies the venture funds that go with this this could have been a major disaster
1: Uh, catastrophic, I think, is what it would have been if it had not got the bailout that it did. I mean, this is like the second largest bank collapse in US history. Um, And more importantly, so centred around venture capital. Um, And as we know, and as we're going to discuss today, you know, venture capital flows so much through into the 3D printing industry and so much of the 3D printing industry relies on it. And when we when we think about that, this is going down to the very hard nuts and bolts of people need to get paid to do the job that they do. Uh, you know, really, it, it's it's as simple as that. Um, and had this had really collapsed and, and not got the bailout that it did, um, then we would have had uh, absolute yeah, catastrophe unfold, I think, within the banking system in the U.S. more broadly.
0: Yeah, no. And there were a run on a few other banks. But I mean, this one in particular, I just, you know, you look at operating companies that wouldn't been able to make payroll now for the next few weeks, that, that would have been catastrophic. You have funds that couldn't allocate and deliver funds on deals that they were doing to help uh, solve some of those problems because their money's locked up And it. So you had this uh, this vicious cycle. And obviously when news got out, it sort of hit the, the street around Wednesday. The run on the bank started, you know, really by Thursday. And uh, the contagion effect just, you know, really became a problem. And, you know, my heart goes out to everybody in Silicon Valley from that standpoint, because in this case, it would have been problems. You'd hate to see failures of operating companies of these poor, you know, these these VCs go down because they couldn't get access to their deposits. I mean
1: Yeah. And having put money in in an otherwise, you know, a, a pretty reputable bank. And and also having having done all of the tightening that was required in you know early twenty-three, having really you know fiscally manage their companies really responsibly and yet being so completely exposed to this bank failure um you know potentially being the undoing of of their companies it's it's a horribly horribly stressful time um on the 3d printing side uh there was was not many announcements or um, much much chatter i mean a lot going on behind the scenes but as far as public announcements goes it was really only valo 3d that came out uh with a statement uh, just saying that the company has an immaterial proportion specifically four million dollars of its total cash cash equivalents and short-term investments in deposit counts at Silicon Valley Bank and they were the only company to come out with a statement. Um, it might have been a very different scenario had had you know there not been this 2 point two plus million billion sorry billion dollars worth of uh, funding plugging over the over the weekend um, Monday might have looked very very different for a lot of 3d printing companies and and all that drama with nanodimension would have just been a, a, a drop in the ocean as compared to what we would have then been contending with. So anyway, thankfully, it's not the case. And I guess, you know, the important thing here is, you know, what are the takeaways, Danny, I think, from from this? Uh, what is What are some of the lessons learnt?
0: Well, this this is a new one, right? I mean, I think when you think about investing and VC investors is the highest risk category. We talked in the last episode about private equity where You know they are a little more risk averse they are more financial engineers when you look at vcs they're a little bit more optimistic of people they're ones that uh, they understand risk from that standpoint they understand there are times where you don't have the right product market fit your company doesn't make it that's that's factored in you think about sort of the the idea of you know other problems that can arise in the companies to create failures what's uh, almost never thought about is some kind of exogenous shock like this one, where you have cash in the bank that you can't get because your bank goes down. I think this is sort of one of those things where it's going to probably reevaluate uh, how you manage your cash in these types of companies. And I think that's going to you know, create uh, credit policies in these kind of companies as well, where they are diversifying their, their cash assets, um, unfortunately. So it just puts another layer of problems onto how you need a CFO. And many of these startup companies don't have CFOs. So they don't have that sophistication in place because this isn't what you're budgeting for. So, you know, big companies have that. Small companies, this is where, you know, the VCs out there were, I know, dialing like crazy on Friday on uh, trying to get their operating companies to diversify. And that was what was creating the run of the bank. So... So I don't think there is a good solution yet, other than everybody, you know, needs to think about how they manage that cash. Um, it would be nice if regulators could look at, uh, you know, sort of deposit limits and what the FDIC limits are, because that that's sort of a, a thing that probably needs to get addressed downstream as well. But I'll call that out of my pay grade.
1: Um, And maybe, you know, important to note that really it's the the macroeconomic conditions that have led led to this overall scenario happening. I mean, yes. And
0: I mean, to some extent, yeah, right. I mean, I think there's burn rates that are happening at uh, some of these companies, especially in VC-backed companies where, you know, I think they've all been tightening their belts. They've all been reducing their burn for sure, which is drawing down some of the cash. The fundings haven't been as, uh, you know, as prolific as, as prior years, but you know, at, at this point, I you know I still sort of wonder. Um, you know, at this point, yeah, you know, could they have done things differently? I, I'm not exactly sure.
1: Well, um, let's get stuck into some of the VC deals um, because, as we've just noted, you know, it's really only one 3D printing company that's come out publicly with a statement, um, and uh, yeah, I, I like I said, I think everyone's breathing a sigh of relief.
0: <laughs> yeah. And by the way, I, I, there are others that were impacted for sure, um, or would have been impacted. And, and yeah. so it's, it's Velo being a public company has to make those kind of press releases. So I wouldn't take the silences that this was, uh, everybody else coming out unscathed had it gone a different direction, but, you know, thinking about it, what's interesting. I mean, we've got a couple of transactions to talk about. There hasn't been the proliferation of VC deals like we've seen in say 2021, but, there are some ones that all make us sort of wonder what's going on here. There are some, some big financings that have been announced that sort of feels like we're uh, coming back to days of old. Maybe. <laughs> let's hope so. Some optimism coming here.
1: Yeah, exactly. No, you're right. There has. Um, and on the VC side, there's been some really encouragement activity happening. So uh, first of all, let's get stuck into it. Um, Fabricate Labs uh, did a $50 million Series B Um, Their uh, Series A was $19 million, which was raised, I believe, in 21. And they had some really uh, high-quality investors, Mark Cuban, Stanley X, um, invested in their Series A, stayed in for the Series B. This company uh, has what they call electrochemical additive manufacturing technology. Um, They're going to use this capital to establish a pilot production facility. And, um, you know, probably I think what's, what's really interesting about this is this is like a, um, uh, it's, it's used to produce ultra high resolution, pure copper components, um, specifically, or that's really where the value is. Um, and so if you think about that, then you think about, yeah, okay, they're going to be, you know, really good for, uh, making things like surgical tools, sensors, and, uh, you know, diagnostic equipment, that type of thing. So, I think they've got a good play on the application space. Um, and and this is like a essentially like an electrochemical bath, but just with a really, really fine resolution where you can print layer by layer by activating these uh, thin film transistor uh, back planes.
0: That's a lot to digest there. I'll, Sorry. I'll say definitely. <laughs> <laughs> electro transitioner backplanes um, to the finance person on the call. Now, I, I think it's interesting. First of all, I think it's interesting for a couple of things. You mentioned the investors. There's a couple of new investors in. NEA, uh, New Enterprise Associates, very prominent firm, especially in the manufacturing side of the VC world. They were in Ares Composites. They were in Desktop Metal. And so they've had a very good track record in this. You've got strategic investors. Lamb Lam was in it the, the, you know, the prior round, Intel Capital, TDK, and Schneider Electric. And mm. Schneider Electric actually followed on from their VC. So it looks like they, they actually had the, the parent company maybe do an off-balance sheet type of an investment. Which makes me think about the application space, right? That to me, a fifty million dollar round in this market, although we're going to talk about a couple of them now, um, which th- these are big rounds, and and for these kinds of companies, and you really have to think the company has some some fairly um, big market opportunities because how do you generate a return when you put a fifty million dollar investment in, on a company like this? You're expecting that you know it's got a post-money valuation of one hundred and fifty. So to get a return, you know, in the VC world, right, they're not shooting for a 2x return on their money, right? They're shooting for, you know, much higher return rates. So they, there must be some very good path that they've demonstrated. I think, you know, having these type of strategic investors to validate it. So is interesting. So, so that's one, I think, on the investor side. I think there's some interesting things to note here. Glad to see that it's a combination and you got the strategics involved as well. But NEA led it, uh, is my understanding, in this last round. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've seen, I've seen some of the parts. Uh, I remember talking to them at rapid in Chicago, sort of right after the, the first one after COVID. And, um, you know, when we were all in the basement, I don't know if you were there at that rapid, it was like, it was the dungeon and they turned the heat up on us the first day. It was, uh, it was sort of a, a, a funny <laughs> dynamic, but
1: it's all right. Rapid this year, will not be in a dungeon.
0: <laughs> no, it'll be in Chicago though. So I hope they don't put us in the dungeon. So, so no, I like, There's a couple analogs to me that jump on this one because I do think it's an application space. The first company that is sort of the precursor to this one is Nuvotronic. And I say that, I mean, we did Nuvotronic's Series B round. Um, I personally actually bought out Series A rounds uh, shares on that deal. And they did small copper parts. It was more predicated on a photopolymer that could be backed out. So think about semiconductor. You sort of, you, you, you know, planarize it, you etch it out. You, you know, you have this photopolymer that you could back out. And at the end, you have a very fragile, small, you know, very you know, refined surface finish on copper parts, largely for RF components. In that deal, we had Keysight Technologies and Lockheed Martin in on that one. And largely we're focused on sort of high, uh, you know, really the higher frequency RF space. And in some cases, I mean, obviously not Keysight, Keysight was looking at it for their their test equipment. And in the case of Lockheed was looking at it for uh, various uh, communication opportunities. That um, is about as far as we could probably say on that. Not that I know it. It's just, I don't know it. If uh, I did know it, they'd kill me. It's, it's a, it was, and by the way, very interesting, Cubic bought that company and uh, and since has uh, been acquired again. So they're sort of maybe orphaned in a bigger parent now. And I think what, uh, what Fabric 8 looks like is potentially a lower cost way to achieve the same type of parts. So I think those are really two analogous types of companies. And and so um, there's definitely a market for those. And I think that's why Schneider Electric's involved as well. Is I think there's some definitely in terms of connectors, how you get to these refined uh, type of connectors? I think it will be interesting for them as well.
1: Yeah, a big part of their sell um, was that they do a, a there's a ninety percent reduction in greenhouse gas emissions. So they're they're touting the company as a greener alternative um, for producing these copper components and copper. Copper itself is a pretty uh, energy intensive uh, material to work with. Um, but yeah, I think getting to the point here, which is that, yeah, it's it's a printer uh, essentially that they have, but really their play is in the application space. And that's what they've been, and increasingly we see this, there's, there's printer manufacturers, but in, increasingly they're going to be working towards targeting certain applications. So speaking of printer manufacturers. Well, to, I think, when, and, yeah,
0: when you, exactly. So when you think about it, I know where you're, you're going to go, and, and I'll, I'll take you there. One, one second. I mean, it's, it's sort of like the idea applications are becoming sort of the, the big value driver, and, and that's why we talk about sort of the Nikon investment in Optisys, right? It's an antenna system. They're using the laser powder bed fusion approach, but they're integrating things like waveguides and filters and antenna systems into single components. They're reducing the footprint size. They're increasing the capability of these. And that's where I see Fabricate is doing that for additional kinds of opportunities. Um, You know, Optosys is doing copper. They're doing obviously uh, various other metal alloys. Uh, And then we also saw Fortify 3D pick up an investment from Lockheed Martin to a much smaller degree back, I think it was in December as well. And they have uh, a unique capability in terms of uh, RF components. RF is just one of these markets that I think is driving the, the 3D printing industry quite a bit.
1: And yeah, just we'll, we'll pivot a little bit more, but just still in the application space. Um, Saku uh, did a, a SPAC announcement. So um, as it turns out, SPAC's are back.
0: Yeah. Look, I, first of all, hat tip to Robert Bagari. I, I just, I you know, I'm, I'm thrilled for for what he's been able to accomplish. You know, I'm not working with the company on this one. I I know him, I have a lot of respect for what they've done. What I'll say is I have seen some of the development work that's gone on over the last uh, year or two. And to me, this is really more so than a 3D printing play. It's It's really a scale up battery play. And so it's about building out the infrastructure behind the capabilities that they're bringing. Uh, in terms of multi-material additive manufacturing to print batteries. I'll leave it there because, I, I, you know, for me, I, I, uh, you know, I think there's, uh, I think highly of that team and some of the things that they've done and I want them to be successful from what I've seen right now. I think to me, this looks like a scale-up play uh, more than anything else. So not one of these kind of stories where they're raising money just to go out, uh, you know, to have an additional war chest here. It's really about how do you scale this capability? And I, I think they have some key customers in tow from my understanding of, of where they've been and who they've developed with.
1: Mm. So. Well, I mean, to just to go on uh, Saku and what they're wanting to do or what they say they do is is 3D printing batteries. And the advantage of that being that you can shape those batteries to conformally to a, to a product space um, which you know offers all sorts of advantages. I guess i got a couple of questions about this one um, that will be uh, remain unanswered, I think for the duration of this podcast at least. Um, but my, my question is, you know a couple of questions. Multimaterial printing, and we discuss this actually with nano dimension, is inherently very, very challenging. Um, we just really not, have not seen large scale commercial adoption of multi-material printing. We haven't seen anyone do it on a large scale. Uh, and so I, I think there's a lot of, of challenges in that space, full stop. Um, batteries, uh, have, it, it, it's pretty hard to compete with that market. I mean, batteries are, um, you know, a consumer ready product, um, that are, yeah, huge marketplace. Um. It's a good opportunity. Uh, they obviously have a point of difference being, you know, you can do conformally shaped batteries. Um, we haven't actually seen a product out of Saku. And that's been to me, one of the biggest differences between this SPAC and the other SPACs that we've seen. Um, for the all of the other companies, I can't think of one that hasn't been like this. You at least know what it is that, you're, that the investment is going into. You at least know what it is that they're producing. And, and I just haven't seen any 3D printed battery in operation currently, so that, those are some of my question marks around it. Like I said, remain unanswered.
0: Those are well. Those are all the right questions. I mean, I, I think for sure. And again, I'm not involved from that standpoint, but I've had conversations and understand and appreciate where the company's going. My only response would be, it is my understanding they have developed this technology along the side of customers who are interested in the adoption of it. And when they want to adopt it for their applications, they need the scale by which to do it. So those prototypes and developments uh, works have already been completed and that this is something that is essential for them on the adoption curve. Now you're right, I, I agree. I've seen a number of battery companies and and you know I, the difficulty of disrupting that industry is pretty high and, and because there's incumbent players and it's capital intensive. If they do have something here, it's capital intensive. And so my my thought here is hopefully they have done the diligence they in their Programs that they developed and they have built out some capabilities in Silicon Valley to do some of these initial runs and do development on some of these smaller batteries that those have scaled up well and that they will scale as they start to replicate these, These I don't want to say gigafactories, but as they build out these uh, production facilities uh, elsewhere.
1: Yeah, for sure. So. These aren't small factories we're talking about. I guess I just would have loved to have seen this back announcement come in tandem with some customer testimonials. Um, I think that would have really strengthened the credibility in my eyes. But speaking of credibility...
0: Well, hold on. Hold on a second. The only thing that you have to think about here, though, right? I mean, we all want that, but we're not the the target investor here. And and I think the the customers here, some of these customer applications, they may not want uh, to have advertised completely. That's, that's one of the problems in this industry as well, is that, you know, as we talked about with... Uh, with the Lockheed investment on Uvotronics, I can't tell you that application, right? I mean, that, that's not an uncommon.
1: Even just to list a customer as a customer, you know, to say we're working with customer X, customer Y, customer Z. Anyway, um, but but having said that, uh, like I said, speaking of credibility, uh, Ursula Burns, um, ex-chair uh, of Xerox, um, is the one that will be leading this back, which I thought was really interesting. And um, and look, does does add... Um, you know, a taste of credibility to the deal in general. So anyway, good luck to Saku and uh, looking forward to seeing a product soon.
0: Yeah, agreed. So should we transition on to uh, onto Zeta? This is a this is sort of one, I don't know if anybody uh, has uh, watched the announcements because this came out in the last week. Um, not everybody knows who Zeta is. If you don't, that's okay because they've rebranded the company and it was formerly PrinterPress and Vertex Manufacturing. They are uh, in. They've just completed a $52 million Series B round that had a variety of investors and some led largely by strategic investors, including Thieves, which, if you're not aware, Thieves and Michelin were also investors in AddUp. So this isn't their first foray into the 3D printing world, as well as Tayo Nippon Sanso, who uh, if I'm not mistaken, is also an investor in Centavia, which they had done back in 2018. So, also involved, they had the existing investors from the Series A round, which included Solve, Berkeley Catalyst Fund, and uh, DOV Management. So, um, got a little background on this one. I was involved in the Series A round for Printer Press, and um, they've got sort of a, a unique capability sitting up in Fremont, California on the medical device side. For those that don't know, where there's uh, actually the two of the founders uh, are brothers, they're doctors, and the premise behind it was how do you start to integrate and develop sort of new medical devices? And they had uh, developed a facility that had a variety of printers in it from the three D systems printer, all of laser powder bed fusion, except for they had an RCAM machine as well on the e beam side, and they had a Renishaw machine. I think they have a they had an EOS machine. They had a, a suite. And, uh, and so they, they have scaled up, but they when they partnered with Greg uh, Morris, who came on as their CTO, they have put printer press together, vertex manufacturing. So they're going to expand into aerospace. Most of this money, to my knowledge, is going to be going out to expand production capacity, which makes sense because I think, uh, Alex, I don't know what you're seeing in the industry, but right now, everybody that we see that's involved in the laser powder bed fusion, sort of metal manufacturing side of the world is uh, starting to see increases in orders and things are really picking up from that standpoint.
1: Oh, starting to see. I mean, has been seeing for quite some time and chock-a-block basically with a a backlog of of orders. So, um, you know, this one, I guess we're just saying, this is essentially like what we would call a service bureau model. They own machines and they will make parts um, for customers. And uh, I think, as you mentioned, the investors of uh, fees, of Michelin, who are also investors in ADAP, um, ADAPT's an OEM. And, uh, you know, I guess a question mark in my mind is, are they wanting to sort of... Um, Put some of these investments together in a way. I mean, you know, is this new Service Bureau model going to be receiving add up machines? Is it a way to get add up into those companies? Or is this just something completely separate and more more kind of hedging bets, if anything else, from, the, from those investors?
0: Well, I think there are certain, certain capabilities that are looking to be demonstrated. I, I can't say that uh, I have knowledge on the fee side and on what drove their thesis here on this investment. Clearly, you're right that with the AdUp investment, there are some common relationships between the teams of AdUp and the teams at printer press and prior positions. I think there's some commonality. It's a close world from that standpoint. It's a small industry. I do believe some of those relationships were important in driving that. But I don't think add-up was the 100% reason for it. And I don't know. It's so new. This press release just came out. I've talked to some of the team. I don't know the entire details behind it. I, I've been told there's more to come in this story and it's probably, you know, there'll, there'll be some more press releases to come out in the, in the following weeks. So stay tuned on this one. Just uh, no print present. Vertex have been renamed as Zeta.
1: As Zeta. And uh, speaking of other investors playing it both ways, Teo Nippon, San, Te, Te, Teo Nippon Sanso, um, also an investor in Centavia. Centavia are, um, and yeah, uh, they'll take this like a dagger to the heart if i call them a service bureau but you know a a service bureau like model
0: everybody does and and so sorry sorry to everybody (laughs) and and nobody does everybody hates it um so if we just use it for everybody then you're equally offended by us and uh but it's not meant to be personal and 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 kudos mean centavia is sort of a market leader in this industry so um, so, Taiyo Nippon Sanso obviously sees the growth. They have a front row seat at at uh, what Brian Neff's doing at uh, at Centavia. So, I think they're seeing some additional capability. I think the one thing with printer press is they have uh, definitely a higher concentration on the medical side for sure.
1: All right. Um, so, speaking of laser bed fusion, because that's where a lot of the action has been happening, uh, Freeform uh, announced a forty five million dollar raise. They came out of stealth mode, so they sort of did this simultaneously coming out of stealth with $45 million plus in their bank. And this is like a brainchild of uh, some ex-SpaceX engineers. So if you think about it, SpaceX has been like the testing ground for a large number of different 3D printers. Um, The engineers that have been working with these, these systems and they've been working, you know, not just with Uh, Production ready printers, they've been working with some like alpha version printers and beta version printers. Like these, these are like the test engineers for 3D printing. They've been working at SpaceX. So these are people that really know 3D printing inside out and and basically, or at least my reading of that, of this is sat down to say, let's solve all of the problems that we are currently encountering with 3D metal 3D printing. Um, and create our own company to to address that issue. So left SpaceX um, and set to work on what they believed would be the best solution to metal 3D printing or addressing some of those barriers for a larger scale adoption. And their solution is a software-defined autonomous printing factory, which, you know, I guess you go, yep, laser powder bed fusion, um, importantly, 18 lasers. So 18 lasers is a little uh, – it's – it's definitely the largest number of lasers in a laser powder bed fusion system. I think there's like some sort of competition going um, because you know Velo had eight and then SLM had 12 and now Freeform has 18. Um, but probably more importantly, this is packaged up within some sort of factory, factory in a box type concept um, that you can just pick up and put down and that's what their vision is here um, is that they want to bring these autonomous printing factories to um, around the world Uh, and yeah anyway like I said came out with 45 million Um, these are people who are pretty well connected in the VC world Um, so in many ways this 45 million uh, I don't think should surprise anyone Danny were you surprised
0: well, I was shocked because one, I, I just, I don't know the freeform team. I've heard uh, grumblings, and you know more about the the team than I do. I, I, I can't wait to meet them. They're actually not far away from where I sit uh, here in Hermosa Beach. They're in El Segundo, so it's a, you know, just a a short uh, couple miles away.
1: Wow, that's and like a public is, invitation.
0: Well, yeah, right? <laughs> so, so, Free for so, Danny I,
1: wants to have drinks with you. I,
0: I, I will. I'll, I'm, I'll buy the beers. Uh, let, let's do it. I, I think, you know, this is sort of where we're in the epicenter of sort of the, the space industry in the United States. You know, El Segundo is where the Air Force has their big acquisition center. Now it's the Space Force. SpaceX is down the street, obviously, where they were in, in Hawthorne. You got the little space co- uh, cluster now and launch down in Long Beach. So... So they fit that. But when I look at their investors and I see uh, Scott Nolan from Founders Fund, he's ex-SpaceX2. So it's sort mm-hmm. of a you know a group that kind of clubbed together. I think there's a high degree of confidence probably between Scott and Founders Fund. And, and I can see where they, they're they following along. Laser Powderbed Fusion seems like it gets to be a crowded space because of, you know, just think about we just talked about Nikon and SLM and they were in your mix of the 12 laser systems. Uh, by the way, it's that's going to come up again in a moment. So, you know, obviously there's a a race to to larger. And I think the idea of the factory in the box becomes important too. I think everybody knows in this industry, it's not just done at 3D printing. You've got all the post-processing that goes along with it. So how they're going to incorporate all this together. Love to learn more. I I don't have more to add on this one at this point, but uh, it seems like there's a trend that you've talked about and maybe we should kind of really touch on some of these other big fundings because some of them are also sort of stealth mode. And they were financed last year. That are sort of big anomalies. So, you know, Vulcan Forms raised mm-hmm. two hundred and fifty million dollars in a Series C round last year with a seven hundred and sixty million dollar pre. So they're a, another. They're one of the, there was a new unicorn last year, by the way, right? I mean, yeah. So, right, valued it over
1: one billion dollars.
0: Exactly. And uh, what do you know about Vulcan Forms? Because again, they're they're sort of a stealthy company.
1: So uh, this is something that's come out, so John Hart is a founder, um, and John Hart was a founder of uh, Desktop Metal. Um, So he's a character that has been around um, out of MIT, professor out of MIT and um, vulcan forms again very similar sort of um, motivations to freeform which were we want to really address some of the barriers that metal 3d printing is facing everyone complains about the speed basically it's all about increasing the speed so everyone throws more lasers at the problem and this is not this is not a new concept but the uh the point is here is that people are actually throwing more lasers at the problem and managing to make it work um and you know going back to slm which we were talking about you know with their 12 laser system I mean, that is a dramatic increase in speed and that, that does not come, um, it, or I won't use double negatives, that comes with significant challenges using that number of lasers. But the point is that they've figured out how to make it work and how to actually meaningfully increase the speed of um, the builds. And uh, this is really important because we are increasingly looking at much bigger bigger bills so you know just much bigger parts and that's the other trend we see as well is a real move to like large format lpbf which we never really deemed possible you know going back even five years ago but again vulcan forms is another one Uh, and what they're saying is that they're doing integrated production you know quote-unquote lpbf at scale and uh, it sounds like a we don't know a whole lot about them because it's still uh, as much as they're out of stealth it's still very stealthy (laughs) Um, right but yeah similar concept's
0: well, it's, it's kind of you know you said you know i think back five years ago that sort of reminds me of when the m400-4s were coming out <laughs> and everyone was trying to figure out how to work through those stitch zones and how they right i mean so here we are with more lasers and the technical challenges uh, uh you know obviously you've got smart people and a, and a roadmap hopefully that gets them there and In the industry they are faster to adopt these because i think this is really what it comes down to again bulk forms, it's, it's sort of like we just talked about with saku and their spec you'd have to think 250 million dollars they're coming out of stealth there must be an application there something had to drive it because it can't just yeah. be if we build it they will come that 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 doesn't really play or at least i don't think it plays today um, and so at this point, there, there must be some fundamental big components and big applications. I mean, we all talk about rocket engines. Um, that's a clear one that as they get bigger, as these launch vehicles, get gets bigger, right? The bigger printers can be more effective. Um, so, so I can see certain things, but I, I'm curious at some point to, to see these stories unfold and what applications are coming out of these big ones. I think there's one more on that list too, right? Uh, Surratt, who's also sort of a tangentially related one. And tangentially
1: they... related, not doing really, not, not of the, I would say not of the same, quite the same philosophy um, in that it's not that same factory in the box philosophy, but very much looking to address that concern about speed of 3D printing. So, um, you know, Surratt's come out of uh, Lawrence Livermore, Lawrence Livermore um, National Lab and um, pretty fascinating technology, honestly. I mean, it's still lasers, it's still powders. Um, but it is a very different approach which um, you know they make some pretty big claims on the speeds that they can uh, get to with their with their system but yeah they uh, in terms of raising though Danny i mean they raised what was it 62 million dollars yeah
0: a combined 62 uh, to 150 pre so they're uh, you know over 200 uh, 212 post money valuation so i mean these investors and this is where i wonder right i mean Again, you, you hopefully, when, once you start to get to these kinds of valuations, right? You, you've really got to have applications. If you're thinking you're gonna get return on your investment, you know, time works against you. So the adoption of these, and we've seen sort of the problem where we're all talking about how, like in the in Zeta, we're all seeing uh, lots of applications develop, but everybody sitting around this industry in 2017, 2018, we're all going, where are the applications? If somebody makes another bracket and it's just about, you know, oh my gosh, look at this little geometric lightweight bracket. We needed Enough more bicycles. applications. Right? <laughs> so so we really need this in the industry. And I, and I hope that those applications are forming for these companies. I mean, that's, that's sort of, uh, I hope it's a big win.
1: Sorry to take us back to Freeform, but I will say, you know, when they came out with their press release, they came out with two customers, Embark Trucks and Ursa Major, right? So trucking company, autonomous trucking company, and Ursa Major's, you know, rocket company essentially, um, with statements from those companies about how they use Freeform technologies. And I thought that was fantastic. That's the kind of press release that I like to see. I like to see a little customer testimonial in there with some actual use cases because I think, as as you rightly point out, these companies aren't worth anything unless they've got end users online and on board, you know, before they're, you know, as, as they are ready to hit the market. And and again, just going back to Saku, that, that would just be my criticism is where is the customer that is willing to vouch for that technology? I can't see one.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, think about the SPAC that Velo did, right? I mean, SpaceX was printed all over everything that they did. So same kind of thing. <laughs>
1: yeah well, exactly
0: well that sort of probably leads us to the last one to, that that's probably worthy of note and I don't think we can go as as deep on this one but uh, you know I think there was a, a pretty unique transaction with divergent and hexagon in December hexagon has not been a traditional strategic investor and and when you think about strategic investors the typical model for a lot of strategic investors is they like to come in on earlier rounds to learn what's going on they tend to write you know one to five million dollar checks. And then they'll do follow-ons. There's some others that could be bigger. I think like Next47, which is part of Siemens, they'll write $10 million checks or, or larger. Hexagon wrote a $100 million check to Divergent 3D. Hmm. So Alex, what do you think's going on there?
1: Well, so you said that they're not so much of a strategic invested, investor, uh, Hexagon, but they are an acquirer. Um, so they definitely have not been shy of acquisitions. Um, but you're right, this is an investment rather than an acquisition. Uh, I, you know, If you wanted to read some writing on the wall, I would say that this is an investment leading up to potentially an acquisition later down the track, maybe. Let's see, I, you're looking very I, unsure. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm,
0: I'm going to go a different direction. Diversion's working on a number of things. They were a very interesting piece of the SLM story with the 12 laser system and helping develop that. You know, Kevin was on the board of SLM and the development activities and helping you know, SLM bring that to a commercial market. I'm guessing Hexagon sees an opportunity here as well because they're doing more than just the development of the printer and the hardware. They've done some material work uh, and unique materials for the automotive industry. Obviously the Singer vehicle is a, a case study in that, but this doesn't have to be tied to just that vehicle. Matter of fact, I don't think that's their thesis. It's really about the factory in the box concept. And there's also some software that goes with that. So Hexagon has a number of things going on right now in their initiatives. They have this Nexus, which is a open sort of flexible digital you know platform that is Leveraging, I'm wondering if there was some kind of crossover with some of the Hexagon pieces. So I think there was probably a joint, a, a reason for them to look at this together and say, we're probably better together. Something tells me Divergent will be using Nexus. And by the way, Nexus may incorporate some of the things that Divergent has done. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing this was sort of a combination there you know, that, that worked both ways. Um, because, And I think Hexagon is making some bets here. Also with this platform, you know, they've got some big, stiff competition in the aerospace arena with the likes of Dassault. You know, Boeing's a big Dassault user. I don't see them moving off of their platform. So auto is a big area for for Hexagon. In addition to that platform, they're also working on some autonomy type software. Uh, So for autonomous vehicles, it doesn't have to be just ground-based vehicles. But again, they're really aiming at those auto customers and... I think what Divergent has started to prove out at these discrete manufacturing facilities probably leverages well. So to me, I don't think there is much of an acquisition target because I think their business models will be different. But I do think that they had some unique attributes, sort of like the way SLM and Divergent had very common needs, co-developed something together. And I think that's probably what's going on here. Um, that's my speculation because it, it it's a big, big investment for Hexagon and uh and I'm guessing there had to be a big strategic rationale.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Pretty uncharacteristic characteristic. And that's right. Um, you know, Divergent 3D combined with SLM Solutions is kind of like equivalent to a Freeform, to a Vulcan Forms concept. Um, and, you know, by the way, that, that partnership, you know, Divergent 3D and SLM Solutions, a brilliant partnership um, and a very successful one let's see how it goes now that SLM Solutions has been acquired by Nikon and, and what the overall strategy is there for Nikon and how they wanna position, you know, SLM Solutions with Divergent, but but nevertheless um, has been a really productive partnership. Um, and you mentioned Zinger, Zinger Vehicles, uh, which is the uh, hyper car, you know, sort of majority 3D printed car um, it, worth obscene amounts of money. I think everyone knew that that wasn't necessarily, you know, a, a, a product for sale business model, the The point of that was really about proving out um, a, a concept and it was a pretty expensive way to do it but it was actually kind of brilliant because everyone got talking about it um, and it attracted a huge amount of interest and it really demonstrated what Divergent can do. And the other thing I'll say about auto is that this is the next big market to really pop, I think, in 3D printing. Like space has is, space is already you know started to take off. And I think auto is next. And I think Hexagon knows that.
0: Uh, we're going to find out. I think, you know, one of the problems that, that auto always has is it's high volume and, and aerospace has always been, and especially space, has been sort of the leader here. So as this market broadens out, if you're right, um, boy, that's going to be a huge lift for this industry.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of these factory in the box concepts, they're very, very based around cost reduction. Um, and, and so I think as we, um, bring those costs down, we're going to start to see more applications play out. Um, but I think that's about it for us for episode two. Thank you so much, Danny, for joining me, um, and talking and, and, uh, about VC and finance as always. Um, this has been episode two. If you want to read more on the latest VC deals, head over to 3dprint.com. I'm Alex Kingsbury, uh, with my host, co-host here, Danny Piper. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.
0: Printing Money, the insider's perspective on finance and investment in the 3D printing industry. For more information about what you just listened to or for past episodes,
1: visit www.3dprint.com.